The zombie is a conflicted beast, to say the least. Not so in the literal sense, as the majority of zombies are your typical shambling, mindless, masses free of humanity and thought, and honestly are just as likely to chew on a former lover or a child as a regular human is to eat a burger or drink a milkshake. Also, pardon the imagery, of course. These undead flesh eaters are strangely as iconic as Mario or Batman in pop culture, despite their much more inherently gruesome nature. And yet, whether you be a tried and true reanimated corpse, an infected human with a virus perhaps inducing hyperaggression, or maybe a mind-altering fungus that has kept the brain stimulated as an individual loses their humanities, it's easy to recognize that these ravenous monsters of horror are only matched in media by how much we seem to love them. From Night of the Living Dead to Warm Bodies and perhaps most terrifying of all, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, we know what they are, but how do they come to be and why is their depiction so diverse across media? As always, welcome to the Astral Tavern. My name is Keanu, and today we'll be taking a look at the things that go bump in the night and exploring the origins of the American zombie. From voodoo magics to H.P. Lovecraft seemingly influencing all things related to horror, and perhaps a bit of confusion on a certain demonic term, today we explore the tale of the zombie. Now, to go back a little bit. The first recorded use of the word zombie in Western European culture can be traced back to 1819 by the poet Robert Southey. Southey, who, as an aside, is perhaps most commemorated today for his original authoring of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, originally used the term zombie in his essay History of Brazil, which used the Haitian-French term zombie, lacking the E at the end of it, as compared to the modern version. At the time, zombie reflected the grim existence of Haitian slaves, crushed so by life in enslavement, and reflected the idea that reanimation or a life after death may be preferential and freeing from their confinement during life. Now, this is one interpretation. Another belief is that with the implication that these enslaved people themselves were, in fact, the zombies, lacking a will as characteristic of enslavement and left with no true escape from subjugation. Now, unlike the modern zombie that we often see in media and film, where they often have a scientific reanimation or infection that causes the infestation, the zombies of this older idea actually originated from Haitian voodoo, a religious belief and practice of the time without a formal congregation, but with practitioners throughout the region. While we don't delve into nuance of Haitian voodoo here, because that is a subject all its own with a lot of interesting details and minutia to itself, we will note that the idea of zombies emphasized a duality of the soul, characterized by their lacking either of the flesh or of the soul itself. And yes, that's right, alongside our mindless and soulless zombies, there's also the idea of an incorporeal or astral zombie as it's referred to, a being of pure soul that voodoo witches and sorcerers sought out to empower themselves. And despite this duality of the soul and flesh reflected in voodoo practices, we don't yet see our hungering zombie seeking out flesh, but instead characterized by the lack of will and role as an enslaved being. As this idea of the zombie perpetuated through the area, it became used as threats even to deter slaves from suicide at threat of reanimation and re-enslavement. Over time, we would even see that through contact with the new world, we would start to see more and more accounts of cases of supposed zombification, such as in the case of Clavius Narcisse. Clavius Narcisse was a mostly ordinary Haitian man, 
who passed in late April of 1962 with his burial taking place allegedly the following day of the same year, though accounts slightly differ on the exact dates of the events. Following his burial, his body was recovered and provided with some form of paste that actually seemed to revivify him by a man known as a bokor, or a term used for voodoo sorcerers and witches of the time. In this state, it seemed as if the revived Narcisse was constantly under a mindless haze and began to follow the Bokor and basically became enslaved to him. Now, the Bokor had several other followers at the same time, seemingly revivified in the same way, and after two years of enslavement and seemingly lack of mindless unconsciousness, the Bokor would eventually pass away and die. At this time, Clairvius seemed to slowly regain his senses and eventually, after two decades rather, would return to his family after hearing of his brother's death. For Clarivus' family, though, who had simply thought that he had passed and was still in the ground, it seemed as if he had returned from the dead. Now, over time, more would come to light about the curious case of Clarivus Narcisse. For example, following much scientific investigation, it would be determined that his supposed cause of death was brought on by a mixture of natural poisons which were actually cultivated by his brother, following a land dispute. Among this mixture would be a neurotoxin derived from pufferfish, tetrodotoxin, which produces a paralysis effect and, with the right modifications, can also reduce one's metabolism and heart rate to, at the time, effectively simulate for many doctors the characteristics of death. The paste given to the seemingly dead Clairvius was made from the plant Datura, aka thorn apples, or sometimes also called the devil's trumpets. Datura also has the effect of inducing various effects through an amount of dosage, including mild hallucination, disorientation, and the inability to differentiate between reality and fantasy. Through a mixture of deception and clever alchemy, along with an immense cruelty, might I add, the curious case of Clairvius Narcisse perfectly displayed all of the telltale signs of zombification at the time in Hades, with the dead rising from the grave while, in reality, representing a man who was drugged and enslaved. As accounts and stories of Haitian zombification would make their way to the New World, we would see even at this time as cinema and film would become transfixed by it. We would see a few versions of this idea of the zombie making its way to film, including 1914's more comedic King of the Zombies, a self-aware piece, 1943's more brooding I Walk with the Zombie, and perhaps most landmark of all, 1923's White Zombie, which is today hailed by many as the original American zombie movie, if you will. Much like today, we see a fascination with the zombie phenomenon despite the large differences that existed in what we consider typical in the modern era versus this time. And yet, before arriving at the more modern, scientifically reanimated zombies, we first have to discuss a very quick short story known as Herbert West Reanimator and talk about perhaps the most revered post-mortem author glow-up, tentacle and existential inconsequentiality enthusiast, H.P. Lovecraft. Now once again, this won't be the time nor the place that I explain who H.P. Lovecraft is, though note to self, idea for a future recording. What is notable, though, is that despite Lovecraft's larger association with gargantuan extraplanar beasts, Reanimator interestingly explores a much more intimate series of short stories involving the forbidden knowledge and genius of Herbert West, again, similar themes that Lovecraft will often delve into in other pieces. 
Throughout the story, Herbert West, a medical student at the fictional Miskatonic University, comes closer and closer to unlocking the secrets of reanimation and eventually becomes acquainted with the burden that is associated with tampering with the lines of the grave. Released in six serialized publications from October 1921 to June 1922, Herbert West Reanimator is considered by many to be the first version and depiction of the modern scientifically reanimated corpses. With largely violent and aggressive corpses acting on primitive and uncontrolled instinct and need, Reanimator would become influential in shifting what was previously a docile and mindless idea of a zombie to something much more dangerous and sinister. As the film cycles would take years to catch up though, a noticeable change in zombies wouldn't shift from the voodoo influences of old until the pivotal work that is slightly confusing in its concept of a zombie versus a ghoul, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit, known as Night of the Living Dead. Now as alluded to, surprisingly the seminal work of George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, was intended to depict ghouls rather than zombies. Ghouls historically refer to a more demonic and monstrous being, with its origins being in Arabian culture, typically dwelling in cemeteries, which, as we see in modern days, is far more associated with zombies and wider culture. I mean, the whole thing is that they're rising from the grave. Despite this, though, Night of the Living Dead would come to define the modern zombie. All of this even despite Romero himself still recognizing zombies as those depicted in earlier films, such as White Zombie. Much in the way that Richard Matheson's 1954 work, I Am Legend, influenced Romero despite focusing on vampiric and vampire-like creatures, future works would slowly create the image of the modern zombie around Romero's ghoul. Also, second note to self, I definitely have to talk about I Am Legend one day, so keep an eye out for that one in the future. And so with that, we've made it to Night of the Living Dead. And yet, there's still so much more for us to explore, including the modern zombie movies and recent classics such as 28 Days Later, the Dawn of the Dead remake, Zombieland, and of course the Best of the Hurt Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, so I think that we'll have this as a to-be-continued for one day. Side note, I will mention that technically, yes, 28 Days Later and its sequel revolve around infected and not reanimated, but just like a zombie and a ghoul, after a while it all kind of becomes the same thing. So. Otherwise, that would be a topic for another day. Besides, unlike some things I can think of, I would not want to chew your ear off. So friends, goodbye and stay well. I know that many of us are feeling like we're in an apocalypse of our own right now, but there's hope as long as we take care of each other and make sure that we're doing all right. One thing we'll see in modern zombie media is the importance of humanity when everything else is falling away, so always keep that in mind. And besides, it's not like 2020 has actually hit us with actual zombies yet, right? <laughs> I'm mean, gonna hope the answer to that is no. But in any case, stay well, stay safe, and hope to see you around the tavern sometime soon.